Hello, and you're listening to Mrs. Brightside, where the glass is always half full. This week we have part two of the Bright Side of Horror with Megan Salinas. It's Mrs. Brightside. Uh, open up the curtains, look outside. What's outside? It's Mrs. Brightside. The, uh, have you seen the Funhouse Massacre? No, I haven't seen that one. That's cool. Uh, that oh, Bill Mosley's in it, too. That one's got Robert England. Long story short of that one is that it, you've been to like Universal Horror Nights and like Not Scary Farm, things like that. No, actually, I have never been able to go to those things because no really? one, like, I've always wanted to go, but every time I make plans with people, they like don't go because it's like really expensive and I'm like I can't pay for two like because my brother's always like can you pay for me no <laughs> you're um, like I'm not made of money no um well it, it's basically a a horror night scenario and that you know you go and you're like ah oh, look going through these mazes where yeah we I, had hell house where you had to like see these things that would happen if you were not a good Christian kid <laughs> it was funny <laughs> <laughs> well so it's it's kind of like going to a not scary farm event but the the premise of Funhouse Massacre is that for this car this particular carnival, a bunch of um, patients escape from a mental institution, Ooh. and so they actually start killing people. But it takes people a lot longer to realize it because they they think it's just part of the show. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> so I'm like, I want to see this. What's it called again? Funhouse Massacre. Funhouse Massacre. Um, right. So I will I will leave it at that. Uh, that um, there's also I haven't seen it yet because it hasn't premiered yet. But premiering at South by Southwest, uh, Rooster Teeth is doing their first horror movie, uh, Bloodfest, and that one it's got a similar premise where it's a bunch of people who are going to like a horror convention or like um, <laughs> a, a, a horror movie screening of like this this longtime franchise. But the the person behind the event has a sinister agenda. And again, kind of very similar. People don't start realize it, it. They don't realize immediately that something is amiss, and then people start dying. And so, the our main characters have to use their knowledge of horror tropes <laughs> rather than real world skills to try to survive. That's hysterical. That's actually like a supernatural episode plot. Because <laughs> there's a supernatural convention, and then um, there's two guys that like think that Sam and Dean are just cosplaying as Sam and Dean, and then they're also cosplaying as Sam and Dean, only they actually consummate their love because they're not real brothers later, <laughs> which is really funny. But yeah, like they basically have to help them like figure this out, which is why <laughs> there's all this supernatural stuff. I'm like... That's hilarious. I'm like, I love that episode, so I would like this movie concept. I, I haven't watched that much of Supernatural, but I have seen that Ghost Facers episode. Yeah, Ghost Facers actually come up uh, a lot. Like, they're in a few. Like, <laughs> I've seen a couple of those episodes, and they are delightful. Yeah, like, that's that's why I love that show, and, and it comes back to just loving horror in general, or, I mean, because horror doesn't just transcend, you know, movies, it's also television as well, including that, or, like, Lucifer. These shows poke fun at it, and that's what I like about them, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think some of the, the best horror is when it does dip its toes in other genres, like comedy, yeah. but also sci-fi. Like, oh, yeah. Um, X-Files would be sort of, I mean, because the Glenn Morgan episodes are always horror. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, Aliens is considered like one of the best horror movies. Oh yeah, because it's fucking scary. It's amazing. Um, one of my favorites, 
the thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you throw aliens in there. It's a very sci-fi premise. Yeah, that's like Anthony's favorite movie. It's funny. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good movie. It's such a good one because it's it's a lot of the stuff that we've listed off um, is, is in it. It's fantastic practical effects, really good acting, social commentary about the nature of paranoia, <laughs> and, um, you know, blending genres, and a really, really bleak ending, <laughs> um, but like, or at least be bittersweet. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where it's all of those things crammed into one movie, and it's so well executed. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, is so many people don't realize, what, like, horror is such a big genre that encompasses stuff that's funny or, like, more science fiction or whatever. It just really is anything that scares the shit out of you or has a lot of blood. Because <laughs> uh, Dead Alive is not scary, but there's a buttload of blood. <laughs> Party's over. Yeah. <laughs> That's that Peter Jackson pre-Lord of the Rings, guys. Um, yeah, that was something that I, I didn't realize about Peter Jackson was how, um, you know, uh, back in the day when, like, Lord after Lord of the Rings, I didn't realize how much of a big horror fan he was. And I was like, oh, wait, he did Dead Alive? Yeah. And then, like, finding out also that he worked on The Frighteners, I was like, that makes so much sense. <laughs> I love The Frighteners. The Frighteners is great. Oh, oh. my gosh. Um, I kind of wish Michael J. Fox had done a few more like horror comedies. Yeah, he would have been. He was a great protagonist. He did that one with Joan Jett. What was it? Um, uh, crap, because it's a vampire movie, and Trent Reznor is in it. And like as his first band it. of uh, Night Shells. I'm like, hey, I'm just gonna look this up here because I'm like, oh yeah, it's like. You know, darkest something because I'm like, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I I haven't seen this one. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, he was in a vampire movie. Oh yeah, like this was around the same time too. And I always laugh because Trent Reznor is in it, and like you know, it's a non-David Lynch thing he's actually in, but it was like before Nine Inch Nails. (laughs) Like so, it's actually hilarious. But yeah, I'm like, crap. What was the name of that movie? Michael so J. Fox vampire movie. <laughs> I know. I just went to Michael J. Fox, and I'm like, um, and then it was like mid '80s, because as I say, it was before night, light of day. Never seen it. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. You gotta okay, see. Okay, I've got um, some required viewing. <laughs> yeah, like oh, we should like view this movie at my house. I love it. Like that. Oh my is god! The fucking poster. <laughs> Like it's it it's is so, so Lost 80s. Boys. It's so Lost Boys. Oh yeah, and this was like eighty seven. It's like Lost Boys plus like risky business. Mm. That's that's what I'm like looking at right now. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, and so he and um, Joan Jett are like brother and sister, and they live in an industrial suburb in Cleveland, Ohio, while Patty is focused on their rock band, the Bar Busters. Joe also cares for the family and the upbringing of Patty's young son, Benji. Their pious mother reproaches them uh, for their way of life, especially when they quit their jobs and go on tour and take Benji with them. However, when their mother is dying of terminal cancer, like, that doesn't even get into, like, the funny part. I was like... a lot of information before the vampires. Well, yeah, because I'm like... this. This is like a what goof. is this from dusk till dawn? Yeah, I know. I'm like, why? I was like, this doesn't even really Were go to an their hour's goofy... worth of movie before the vampire. Show? Yeah, I was like, I distinctly remember there being vampires and supernatural in this movie. Why did they not even mention that? <laughs> yeah, I just thought you were talking about like a rock '80s coming of age story. Yeah, and I'm like, that's not what this movie's about. It's like kind of becomes a dumb supernatural movie. It's like, like it's very you, Lost Boys. Why did you put all this? Uh, ex- 
exposition and backstory into the description. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just like, wait a minute, why? I'm like reading this. I'm like, it's called Light of Day for a reason. Speaking of From Dusk Till Dawn, again, one of my favorite, like, that's definitely one of my favorite vampire movies. Oh, yeah, it's uh, so good. Uh, because it's it blends over-the-top, you know, action with a you know with comedy and everything like a that. sex it's machine still, is Tom Savini it's still got a little bit of depth too it's really great um and it was really funny just speaking of that movie um I sat down to watch it one night and my roommate uh who as I mentioned isn't necessarily a big horror fan she's like what are you watching I was like from dusk till dawn it's a vampire movie and she I was like you're going to bed right like I I can watch this without it bothering you and she's like yeah, it's fine. I'm going to bed soon. And she thought to her, she didn't say it out loud, but she thought to herself, I'll stick around until the vampires show up because, you know, it's a pretty yeah. compelling story prior to the vampires about these two robbers. And so she starts watching it with me. And I didn't realize that she was like, until the vampires show up, until the vampires show up. <laughs> so by the time the vampires showed up, she was invested. And she's like, well, damn it. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and that's the thing is sometimes these movies don't even get to that point until later because I'm like, okay, I don't even remember this dumb family shit in this movie. I'm like, I remember Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett and Supernatural stuff. A lot of, and really, a lot of really great horror is a slow burn. Yeah. They don't show their hand too early. They they allow the atmosphere and dread to build up and then they hit you with the whammy right as it's getting to the boiling point. Yeah, and, and those sometimes are the best movies, but that's why it's like, okay, this is the start of a franchise, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to get another one, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and From Dustin Dawn now even has a TV series. I'm a big fan of Robert Rodriguez because, you know, he he's from Texas and he has a studio there now and shoots most everything there. He's done so much for the Texas Film Commission. But, yeah, like that, when he did with Quentin Tarantino, was just phenomenal. Yeah. When yeah. they work together, they do. I mean, I have Sin City, and <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's a it's a good movie. Yep. And like I said, I I really enjoy From Dust Till Dawn. That's a fantastic one. Yeah, because every time I think I'm over vampires, they have something new come out. Because like the Brian Fuller slash Anne Rice series coming out, I'm like, oh my god, I now want to watch this. I wasn't that interested in it until he got behind it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, talking about like showrunners, Brian yeah. Fuller has has been a fantastic voice for like horror media yeah um and one thing again i i really we mentioned earlier about how some of the genre is problematic and how that's something that like a lot of people just sort of take at face value when and just associate horror like oh it's just it's just violent and not good and not wholesome or whatever one of the things i really love about brian fuller is he he mentioned in one of his shows about how he would never tackle the issue of rape specifically in, in one of the shows he was working on, I want to say it was Hannibal. And he said he would never do that because he's like, look, this is a huge issue and it's done so poorly in most media, especially in the horror genre. It's tackled so poorly that there's no way I want to tackle that because a lot of times it's used as shorthand for character development or drama or shock value. And I, I always really respected him for that. I was like, well done, sir. If you're going to tackle it, do it right. Yeah. Cause that is the thing is like, I will say like, I spit on your grave specifically while it was horrible, but at least we had the female protagonist like come back and kill these guys. But at the same time, 
why did we need to tell that story? Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those ones where a lot of times, for, again, kind of tying into the, the female protagonist for like action genres too, a lot of times if you wanted to have a quote-unquote badass female character, usually that was a component of her backstory, again, as character shorthand. It's yeah. like you couldn't have a woman who was amazing or, or hard as nails unless she, this terrible thing had happened to her. Well, and it's like, that's not good storytelling. No. I mean, and two, as I'll say, I mean, you have stuff like, like even Sons of Anarchy, which I love. It was just like, why did we need the Gemma rape story? Like, why was that necessary? I mean, uh, it never made sense to me because, I mean, it, it honestly broke her in a way. And like, she was never the same. And it's like, you know, Jim was already the strong woman. And that's what I, you know, have said many times, especially in uh, conjunction with X-Files this season. I mean, people have even interviewed me about like, no, you can say it's science all you want. But like, if this is, you know, spoiler alert, this is how William was really made. <laughs> Whether it's science or not, still rape cigarette smoking, man. Sorry. And it's just like, why do we continually have to rape our strong female characters? Yeah, why is that a, a stereotype that get, or not a stereotype, but why is that a trope that gets perpetuated over and over again? And like I said, when it becomes character shorthand, like that's when you know we like it's a problem. Yeah, and I'm not saying that like horror as a genre can't tell that story well, but a lot of times it doesn't, which makes the times it does really meaningful and and so like I said I always respected Brian Fuller for saying that was never going to be anything that he tackled um because it's it's laziness on the part of usually male creators yeah who just don't understand the female perspective which is weird when you're putting women at the forefront of your genre so don't do that <laughs> guys well yeah and, and too as I'll say you know some people have gotten better with their telling. I mean, because I'll put out Preacher, it's sort of horror. But yeah, like, in the comic books, Tulip is not a very three-dimensional character at all. She's pretty well, like, a, a cookie-cutter version of what they thought a feminist woman should be. It, and honestly, it was annoying. Like, I love Jesse and Cassidy, um, but I never really liked Tulip because, like, this was not a character. But uh, the way that Ruth Nega has portrayed this character, it's like, oh my god, they got it. And, you know, with this, you know, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, these are obviously guys, but they're between their writing and her acting, this has become a real character. She's a three-dimensional yeah. person. Yeah. That's that's a thing. Person, not just woman character. Yeah. Ooh, woman. <laughs> <laughs> You're a woman character, so I'm going to put you in this little box and no. you stay there. No, thank you. That is how they portray us sometimes, yeah. <laughs> little bit, little bit. Or like I say, I mean, we point out, like, because I will, you know, I love to shit on Chris Carter all day long, but I will say the other writers of X-Files, who are, of course, still all male, and that was one of Jillian's complaints, but at the same time, I don't feel like Darren or Glenn or, you know, you have uh, James Wong, the way that they wrote Scully was always just that strong woman, and they seem to got it. So it's not like, oh, all men are bad at writing women. No, just some, just Chris Carter and a few others. I mean, obviously, because he's because he almost had a love-hate relationship with the character, is always trying to stifle her. I mean, at least that's what I get. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. X-Files in particular, um, It's it was nice to have a character like Scully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, you, 
Uh, I mean, even looking to the future, like when you have this supernatural horror show in Supernatural, like the two main characters are dudes. And so it was nice to have like that supernatural sci-fi horror show in the 90s that where it was a male and a female lead. And for a long time, the, the romance wasn't even necessarily an aspect. No, and that was the thing, is they didn't really get together till far, far later. I mean, and she was always more screwing with him. Scully was usually the stronger person all the time, and that's what I always loved about the relationship, because Mulder was kind of he's always the off one, in the clouds. Yeah, and, he's the one always looking up towards the sky, going, the yeah. truth is out there, I want to believe. And she's like, we are FBI agents, we have stuff to do. do. <laughs> yeah. We have jobs? <laughs> I need you to come back down here. Mulder. Mother and job. Yeah, and that's what I loved about their dynamic. And I even have a I want to believe poster in my living room here. But like, and you mentioned Supernatural, and and the sad thing about Supernatural is the writers wanted more women on the show. It was there was this very vocal group of fans who like were like, no, like we hate this. Like it, it just needs to be the guys all the time. Like, and that's why they said that they would often have to kill these characters off because they were tired of people complaining. Like, you had, like, Joe, and you had a Charlie who was played by Felicia Day. Yeah. You had a lot of really good female characters. But luckily, that's why we're getting Wayward Sisters, which had its backdoor pilot this year that, that features, like, really strong female characters like Jody and, like, um, Donna. And, you know, now they've got... They're sort of helping these younger women and coming together, and it's all about women coming together. But it's sad that they had to do their own spinoff because you have a lot of fans... And they, I believe it was mixed of male and female um, yeah. that just did not want to see that on there. And Which I'm like, why? It's terrible because that, that turns off a lot of other fans. Like, I know a couple people who just refu- adamantly refused to get into Supernatural because it wasn't kind to their female characters. And, you know, they fridge most yeah. of them. And so I'll, I, I know a lot of people who are just like, yeah, no, not for me. Yeah, and that's the sad part is that was not even the writer's intention or the show's because, as you know, well, and like especially with like Charlie, she was a lesbian and that was great to see. And what I love is like the one where Dean is having to voice in her ear because like he's like, can can you flirt with him? Like try and get something. She goes, he's not really my type. She goes, he goes, you can um, you can uh, pretend just now. She goes, I mean, you know, he's not a woman. And he goes, oh. And he goes, okay, well, I, I'll help you out. Like, and it's funny him having to whisper in her ear, yeah, like, what a guy was wanting him to and, and that's what I love is their friendship was so cute. And it's like, seriously, people had a problem with this. It's like, they're never going to hook up. And I never understood. It's like, the only way to see Dean naked is for him to be with a woman. Because he's not, you know, as much as we all want him and Castiel to be together, that isn't going to happen, okay? So it's like, why do y'all not want women on the show? I want him naked. <laughs> I love that your argument. Yeah. I love that your argument for more female characters is like I need more female characters in this show so that I can objectify the male protag. Um. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that that was the reason to watch Supernatural. It's like um, I'm all for the strong women. Let's just get Dean naked, okay? <laughs> I am a simple woman with simple needs. Yeah. Because as much again, I say, guys, as much as we want him and Castiel to consummate their love. It's never going to happen. They've said it. It's never going to happen. <laughs> so I do have to ask, what is, um, we, we talked about it a little bit mm-hmm. earlier, but what is your favorite scary movie? Oh, yeah. Like, um, so I actually have a lot. It's hard for me to pinpoint, like, just one. I, 
I do love I know, the whole changes evil, yeah. <laughs> year to year. Yeah, like I love the whole Evil Dead franchise. Just, you know, it's, it's fun and I love Bruce. And then, of course, um, I, I really love Jason Lives because it's sort of what spawned Scream and uh, I like Scream 2. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, will always have a special place in my heart because I just think it's such a beautiful movie. And, and, and a lot of people miss the social commentary in it because it actually had a lot to do with the Vietnam War yeah. um, when it came out. And it's just, like, honestly one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. I mean, that seems weird, but, like, it's just every aspect of it is really cool and always, you know, the... Uh, and then John Larroquette, like um, <laughs> when you know the yeah. history behind it and the yeah. intention behind the the shots and everything like that. Yeah, and that's just sort of the thing. So I'd probably pick those couple, and then I got to go with the, a little bit of Nightmare on Elm Street too. Like I, I'm all about the slasher movies, I will <laughs> say, but yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, no, yeah, all, all those are good picks. Um, it's funny yeah I, I i'm with you like my my favorites sort of change from year to year i am so grateful for get out um because like in much in the same way that like we need to hear women's voices in the genre like we also need diversity and get out is just such a wonderful breath of fresh air um when it comes to all of that so i'm so grateful for it um but like also I think I always come back to the original Scream a lot. Like, I love the whole franchise, but that's one of the ones I always come back to. Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yeah, Dream Warriors I, is definitely the best of that franchise. Like, I know a lot of people say that the number one is the best, but I'm like, come on, guys. Number three is is the best of both worlds. It's Freddy at both his scariest and his funniest. funniest. Yeah. And it's it's definitely the coolest of the movies and it it utilizes dreams to their full potential and And they fight back. That's why they're dream warriors. That's what I like yeah, about that. They yeah. they fight back, but that doesn't necessarily mean you win no. either. <laughs> um, and it has some of the best death scenes in it. It's it's just all together it, you you wouldn't think that all the pieces come together with, in the way that we described it in terms of being comedic and stupid and silly, but also genuinely terrifying, and it creates new rules, but they're rules that work within the confines of the universe, and they bring Nancy back! Yeah. Well, and two, like, Kincaid lives through the movie, which Black Dude normally died first, and that was one of the more groundbreaking well, things, because that's actually what Chauncey talked about. She met him at the screening on... Uh, Tuesday um, this week for the, the 30th anniversary of this movie that came out this year, the year I was born. So um, put those two and two together. But I wasn't born till October. But yeah, the, um, talking about something I hate and and not in in a lot of horror movie franchises, especially like the 80s ones, was I really hated when you brought characters back who had survived the previous movie and you kill them off in the first act. Yeah, that's what happens movie. with yeah. it, it happens a lot. It happens in Friday the 13th. It happens in, you know, The Grudge. Yeah. It happens in a lot of these movies and it always drove me crazy. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 did not do that. No. They brought Nancy back in a meaningful way and yeah, they killed her at the end but it was a meaningful death and she went down swinging. Yeah, and, and that's what I love. And then, too, I mean, they kind of continue that in The Dream Master with Kincaid and everything. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie from 88. 
But, um, yeah, like... It's a movie that's almost 30 years old. Exactly. And then the thing is, is Heather Langkamp reprises her role as herself in A New Nightmare, which is, like, a, a very meta Freddy movie. It's so good. And that was the thing, is we really hadn't seen The Last of Nancy. And and I love Freddy's dad, too, because I love that Alice Cooper is his dad. I love that. <laughs> Even though it made no sense based on the previous backstory we had. But Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's like, it's... Weird, but at the same time, I'm also intrigued by the the notion of evil dads and the the yeah. notion of Freddy having a kid. It's just sad that the the franchise never actually explored that in any meaningful way. Um, but I was intrigued. I was like, oh, Freddy has a daughter. Yeah. Like that's some interesting character dynamic you could work with, um, as uh, especially you know given his history. But absolutely nothing with it. Absolutely nothing with it outside of that one movie. And so it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, whatever. We could pick this up somewhere, right? Yeah, (laughs) Freddy's kid. I mean, Chucky has like a wife and kid. I I love that. Like, I love that Chucky eventually got domesticated. Like, that to me is pretty hysterical. Um, Talking about like evolution of franchises. Uh, when it comes to horror, is always something that intrigues me as well. Because I feel like with a lot of times, you either get franchise fatigue, where it's literally just rehashing the same thing over and over and over again to the point where it has no meaning anymore. Alien. Uh, Mm. I'm looking exactly in your direction. Or you go one of two other routes, and that's action or comedy. With Evil Dead, you get kind of a little bit of both. But... um, and even Alien, you get it a little bit. It turns more into an action. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have Danny McBride in the last one. <laughs> um, but like, I, I feel like they they devolve into either action or comedy, either that or it's literally just the same movie over and over again. Um, so it's kind of it's it's so fascinating to watch how horror movies evolve. And Child's Play, that one was always a little campy to begin with, yeah. but like they just went full ridiculous horror comedy after a certain point. They're like, we've done three movies about this killer doll. We can't really play it straight anymore. We're just going to, you know, steer into the skid. Yeah, we got to get him a a wife. And then (laughs) then they're going to have babies, which I still don't know how that happens, but... Nope. Voodoo magic? Was that that how that worked? I I think so. I'm like, (laughs) um, I only watched that movie high because I think that was the only way to enjoy it, but yeah. (laughs) I disagree. I feel like we yeah. can enjoy that movie yeah. sober. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. It is goofy and it's fun. And that's what, I mean, like you look at something, say like Jason X. Jason is in space. How is this not going to be dumb? And they make it still cool, but it is dumb. <laughs> oh, it's fun dumb. It, again, it, it's it's that very fun dumb. Yeah. Like at one point he's uh, fighting one of the space marines, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I forget what the guy's name was, but he was like, ah, it's going to take more than that to, sh- that'll do it. <laughs> it's basically a cartoon at that point. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and that is still considered some of like the best death scenes because they were just like, oh, fuck this. We're they, just having they fun. They just went, full full camp full yeah. camp and full cartoon um yeah <laughs> 
And that's what I love about these movies is they get to a point where they're just like, we're just having fun, okay? We're we're just all here to have fun, and it's kind of fun too when you look at uh, like some of the starts of certain franchises where they didn't necessarily mean for that to be the case at first. They're like, we're gonna play this straight, but then with the way the scene goes, or because their budget didn't allow for reshoots or whatever the case, like I'm thinking of like Reanimator specifically. Oh yeah, I love where that. it's <laughs> like we're playing this straight, and then you actually see the movie and you're like. That was meant to be funny, right? Yeah. Please tell me that was meant to be funny. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is like, you know, Reanimator is based on the H.P. Lovecraft novel, which annoys me that there's not more H.P. Lovecraft novel movies. Uh, guys, get on that. But yeah, it, which was, none of those were comedies, but Reanimator is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Have you seen the musical? The stage oh, musical? Uh, no, never. Like, I want to. Like. Oh. Uh, talking about like the zeitgeist of like my horror movie, uh, the 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 like golden chalice of horror movie stuff for me is when you take a horror movie comedy and also turn it into a musical. Yeah, like Evil Dead. Oh, uh, like yeah. Evil Dead. Um, Reanimator did it very well. Uh, they they made they made it funnier. And um, <laughs> they made it funnier, and the the music was really good. It's just it was one of those things where they took the already kind of awkwardly funny reanimator and they made it more hilarious and intentionally so this time. So, but it it also comes from like a place of love yeah. too. Well, and that's the thing is the Evil Dead musical, and now I need to see the reanimated one. And also, they have a Carrie musical, which Riverdale is going to be doing. And and I think it's a little bit more straight, but I think with Riverdale, they've got to make it a little funny, right? You, you know what one of the biggest horror movie disappointments for me was? Did you ever see the movie Stage Fright? Yeah. That one, to me, was such a huge disappointment because the music wasn't very good. And it's just they like I think the pacing was off and the the conclusion at the end was not satisfying in any way, shape or form. But I I saw the preview for it. I was like, it's one part Phantom of the Opera, one part slasher movie, one part musical. This is going to be the best. And it wasn't. And I, I like I said, I I felt more disappointed in that because it's all of those like it should have it been should like have been good with all it of them should ones. have been amazing and literally it should have been like somebody going like looking at a, a checklist of things that Megan loves mm-hmm. and going mm, musical check horror comedy yes oh Phantom of the Opera oh Megan loves that <laughs> check 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 why didn't they all come together in a meaningful way <laughs> Well, it's like when I tried to make a falafel sandwich with uh, guacamole and peanut sauce because I like all those things and it tasted like crap. You know, sometimes... <laughs> sometimes it just... Sometimes uh, a work can't be more than the sum of its parts. <laughs> no. Um, but Cannibal the Musical is pretty good. It was Trey Parker's uh, first film. Uh, <laughs> I was like, that one's pretty good. <laughs> Oh, why aren't there more horror comedy musicals? I know. I'm like, now we need to write one of those, and Betty White is the killer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I guess we should we should keep that under wraps. Spoiler well, no, alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you guys won't know. Like, I mean, we'll just cut this, this out. This is this is just between you, me, and our listeners, right? Yeah. Right. This exactly. Just it stays here. It stays in the MP3 in yep. the podcast. <laughs> and we'll live here forever. No one will ever know that we spoiled this long before this movie ever came to fruition. <sighs> well, 
Jasmine too. I don't really mind like finding out who the killer is I, is fun, but I'm also like okay if I know from the beginning. Like sort of like a Criminal yeah. Minds episode. It's like I care more about why they did it than who did it sometimes too. Like I'm like if I know this person's killing, but yeah. I'm like if I still got to figure out why, that's still a mystery. A lot of the horror movie franchises that I've seen like sort of out of order. Like don't get me wrong, I love I love the mystery and I love the the proper reveal at the right moment. But before I was really into horror, when I was still kind of dipping my toe into it, I would watch bits of franchises out of order, like just when they would be on TV. So there were a couple things that I got spoiled for. Like I didn't get the big scream reveal of, oh, it's two people. Mm -hmm. Like I never got that big reveal because I, I had watched a good chunk of the second movie before seeing the the first from beginning to oh, end. Yeah. So it, it's just one of those things where it's like, but like, like, as you pointed out, it doesn't detract from how good the movie actually is. Like, you can sit down and watch Scream knowing it's the two guys, and actually that enhances your enjoyment of it because you're picking up on all the little, the little stuff things, yeah. and seeing how the movie is intentionally misdirecting you by looking at by because you you watch it for the first time and you're thinking to yourself it's either the boyfriend or this movie's really trying to make me think it's the boyfriend and then they have that fake out and then it turns out it was the boyfriend. Yeah. It's like this movie was projecting so hard that it was him that you totally don't think it's him by the time it happens. Yeah, you think he's a red herring the whole time. I mean, because they kept having those little bits. And, you know, that was why I like Scream. Because they're like, yeah, it was him. But he was also a red but herring. Not, but not for the reasons that you yeah. think. <laughs> exactly. And then, um, like, in Scream 3, I pretty well guessed it was Scott Foley right out of the bank. But I didn't guess why. Like, I was like, oh, well. We didn't know her mom was a slut, so like, that was an well, that was a joke. That was it. <laughs> that was an interesting thing uh, too about um, those movies. Was always how um, you know t- talking about like the slut shaming aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, because that starts in the first one, and that was sort of the thing. It's like, yep, that's why I use that word because I use it throughout the movie. Like, and and then that's sort of like what tortures Sydney is like her mother's bad choices and. And I feel like there's some decent commentary, too, about slut-shaming in that regard. And, you know, the reason her mom's life went downhill was because of this unfair standard towards women, and particularly women in Hollywood. And, you know, there, we could go into a deep dive of why Scream 3 is either good or bad. But, oh. like, but yeah, it's... I like that bit of relevant commentary in what's otherwise, you know, a pretty fun meta movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it again, horror just occasionally throws up the mirror and goes, Hey society, take a look at yourself. Isn't that bad? Okay. I'm putting the mirror down now. We're, we're going back to the gore and the fun. Um, or say Candyman three times in it. (laughs) (laughs) Or talking about commentary. Ooh, gosh. Candyman was, uh, who my heart. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, like me and my stuff. brother would always be like, I hear you're looking for the Candyman, bitch. Because the lineup <laughs> where they have to say that over and over made us laugh forever. We're like, <laughs> step up and say the line. I love, <laughs> I love that the movie at one point pointed out, like, the only reason anything is being done right now is because a white woman complained about it. Mm-hmm. And, and the movie acknowledges, it's like, yes, our protagonist is a white woman in, in you know, basically inserting herself into what would otherwise be an African-American story. And so yeah. it's, it's, 
it's fu- again, it's good commentary in that regard. It knows what it's doing. Yeah, and I actually had just watched the Cougar Town where they brought up the you know joke uh, with Lori, you know, solving race relations as a white woman. <laughs> she goes, yeah, like every '90s movie, we all know in order to solve any kind of race oh. problems, you need a white woman because like you think of like Dangerous Minds and all these other movies where it was oh. always a hot blonde. It was almost always blonde white woman like to solve these problems, but that was just what they did in the '90s. Yeah, uh, Candyman is one of those one of the few exceptions of like, well, yeah, she's a white blonde protagonist, but like, it's acknowledging that hey, guys, maybe that's not the best vehicle to tell African American stories, and and also just you know the backstory behind Candyman as a character is also really fascinating and tragic as well. Yeah. Oh, what? Tell tell us all oh. about the backstory, because like oh, I, the I, character, the yeah, character. Yeah, oh, yeah. you don't you don't remember uh, what, oh, what, uh, what it was in the movie? Oh, um, God, no! I'm like it, it, literally thinking talking, about all these points, and I'm like, what was the talking book? about urban legends? Like um, the the, the yeah, because I was like, oh, is this a real thing? Kind that I don't of know. Change form. Yeah. Um, you know, based on whatever story. So it was kind of interesting because it's debatable whether or not. Candyman is just whatever people say he is, or he was actually the ghost of this real life per not not yeah. real life, but yeah. in, in the universe of this real life person. Um, he was uh, an African American during the Civil War who fell. I think it was the Civil War who fell in love with a white woman, and they ran away together, and they had a baby together, and of course, the world being what it was, uh, you know, group of white. A holes uh, separated them and murdered them, uh, and that's and that's how Candyman died. Um, and that's and so it's one of the reasons why he happens to target Helen is because mm-hmm. there's there's this connection to the woman he fell in love with and and everything like that. And there were there's this shot where right before like Candyman is holding onto her and this other woman's baby and they're standing like right on this pyre that's about to go up so that all three of them die in the fire. And I literally I was so sad like in this image because it's like I can't tell if this is an otherworldly entity that's just doing this to perpetuate the story so it continue, can continue its own existence or if this is actually the ghost of this guy who just wants to be reunited with his family that was taken away from him. And it's never really 100% made clear. Or if maybe if it is that entity just trying to perpetuate its own existence, if it's taken on the memories of that individual. And so it's a little bit of both. I don't know, but it made me feel things. It made me feel things, Lucretia. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, I clearly had no feelings for that because I'm like, I don't even remember Candyman's backstory. I just remember a lot of cool parts of this movie, like with well, the, you I know. Mean, uh, part of it is that, like, even though he's got this tragic backstory, Tony Todd plays him so he's cool. He's so good. Like, Tony he's Todd so is such cool. a great actor. <laughs> um, yeah, and he, he plays him so cool and so menacing that you forget that in a lot of respects he has a sympathetic backstory. Yeah, I'm like, and then apparently I just blanked and, out. I was like, wait, what? And also, <laughs> again, kind of talking about diversity and diverse voices, how many of these psycho killers are actually, you know, people of color? Yeah. They're, they're always 
I don't know, weird white dudes. <laughs> well, I mean, statistically, that is correct. Um, uh, like, <laughs> Which is fine. But I, there's I like liked... a Chris Rock joke on that, I believe, about, like, you know, most serial killers are white men. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, like, it was cool to see a different type of monster. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, and too, like, to play by such an iconic actor who then later, you know, loved the genre so much he kept coming back for more, like, with the Hatchet franchise or being Final a part Destination. of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love Final Destination. That was actually written and directed by Glenn Morgan from The X-Files. Like, yeah. Uh, well, it was originally yeah. a, an X-Files script. Yeah. Um, they, they, like, the, the FBI agents in the movie, in the first movie anyway, uh, were originally supposed to be Mulder and Scully. Um, and Final Destination, that's, that's a fun one. It, it, the first one, I feel like, has a lot more merit to it than the other entries in the franchise. Yeah, like, the second one was okay, but I actually didn't even bother to see the other ones. Because I'm like, the first one meant something, and then I watched the second one just to see what it was. Yeah, and then the, I'm like, the first one had a little bit more weight behind it. Yeah. And, like, it wasn't just kind of death for the sake of death, like, like the later entries sort of became. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, definitely watching like one and two back to back, those movies make you paranoid. Oh yeah. Um, not to name drop, but Kerr Smith lived behind me in uh, Santa Monica for a while and I took everything in me not to yell at him, Curry dick, because he was such a nice guy, but I just like, I love Sean William Scott. So like, that was like my favorite character. Like he'd just be like, Curry dick all the time. Uh, the, um, I remember I, I watched uh, the first and the second one back to back when I was in high school, uh, you know, prior to the third one coming out, uh, cause they were doing like some movie mm-hmm. marathon or whatever. Um, and I went to work that the following day and I was afraid to touch anything. Like <laughs> I worked at the city parks and rec department. And so part of my job at the end of the day was unplugging all of the exercise. So equipment. you were April? I was was supposed to unplug all of the exercise equipment and I was afraid to reach for the electrical cords because I was like, this is like something weird's gonna spark and it's gonna light me on fire or it's gonna electrocute me. Like, am I stepping in a puddle right now? What's happening? See, that's so funny. Like, I I thought that movie was so cool because I actually got to interview Glenn Morgan and I was like, dude, that scene where Terry gets hit by the bus and you're playing Into the Void was one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails songs, just like everything. He goes, yeah, every time I saw it in theaters with people, they would clap, too. I'm like, that is just such a cool scene, because you're, like, not expecting it. Because, too, all the other death scenes, they're playing John Denver. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I love this song. My favorite album. Like, And then it's like, bam. Like... Yeah, that's the one that that really catches you off yeah. guard. Every everything else gets telegraphed a little bit, or like there's kind of a, a weird one liner right before it happens. Um, well, even that one has has a funny one liner yeah. like leading into it, but like that one you really could just drop dead. <laughs> that one really catches you off guard yeah. because somebody else just you know just missed it. So it was it was really that one definitely was very off-putting it was like whoa oh yeah literally death can in this movie can come for you at literally any moment and you might not even see it coming well yeah because i mean the villain in the movie is just death and it's not even a entity of death like you see you know often portrayed i mean even on supernatural it's just it's gonna happen because you were supposed to die in this thing i mean i i really liked the idea of like death not being this impartial character and they they mess that up later in the franchise because they make death a lot more malicious Mm. but i i very much appreciated death at least in the first one being just this force of nature um and like 
again, there's there's a rift in death's design, and it's just trying to set the path right. Um, and you don't ever really get an explanation for why the main character got that glimpse into the future, um, but it doesn't matter. It, well, because too, some people just have intuition. I mean, yeah. I know I do. I mean, I predicted things before they happen, just like you know, in a dream or just had a feeling. Like you know, you yeah. just listen there's, to your gut. Yeah. And there's no there's no explanation yeah. for it, but it's a thing that happens. And then, um, and so for somebody to use that to and and for their life to be saved because of it, I I really liked the notion of just death just trying to balance the scale. It's not out for these people. It's just. Oh, it it's just needs to balance the ledger, yeah. as as they kind of put it. Um, it. And it's just, it's like the waves crashing against the beach. It's just a natural just thing is. that's going yeah. to happen. Um, and it's unavoidable. And I, I really appreciated that. I thought that was great. Like I said, they ruin that in future movies because the they they reveal later on that death is what's showing, you know, death is offering these people the glimpses of their impending demise so that they can avoid it so he can spice things up with his weird Rube Goldberg machines. Mm. Like, it, they turn death into a malicious entity instead of an impartial one, and I didn't appreciate that. Yeah, like, I don't really like that direction because that was what was so cool, especially about the first one, is it what was scary is it's inevitable yeah. and it's not there's any malintent or anything involved yeah, here. It, it was a slasher movie where the slasher, you know, a lot of the other slasher movies like to pretend like their masked villains are forces of nature, like Michael Myers and yeah. Jason. But the truth is, is that no, that even though they might randomly be able to withstand rocket launchers, they and and seem like forces of nature, they are just very disturbed individuals. Death is a natural thing, and and so that that was something that set that at least that first Final Destination movie yeah. apart. I know, and I could talk about this all day long, but I feel like um, we've been talking for over an hour here at least, and I'm like, oh, wow, we've got <laughs> so much good stuff, and there's still more, because I'm like, we didn't even mention Saw, which I'd love, you know. But I like yeah. the first one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually like the second one, too. The second one's all right, yeah. Um, Donnie, Donnie Wahlberg's in that one, right? Yeah, he's the main character. Uh, the first one's a great standalone. The second one, even though it kind of messes with the lore of the first one, and and, like, the motives of the bad guy. I think probably the most fascinating parts of Saw 2 is just seeing, uh, you know, John sit down with the detective and have these philosophical discussions about, you know, what it means to be alive. And those are the most fascinating parts of the movie. Everything else is kind of gravy or kind of icing. That's where, like, the real drama is. Um, And whether or not... Donnie Wahlberg is going to be able to yeah. sit through the entire the entire thing, um, and so that's that's very interesting. But yeah, first one's the best standalone for sure. Yeah, and I didn't see after two because my brother's like, don't bother. Like they he it dies gets, and then they bring him back and then it's it gets like so dumb. convoluted. Yeah. Like um, it gets ridiculously convoluted. I, I same thing. I kind of threw up my hands and I just sort of follow the the plot via like Wikipedia after yeah. that point because I'm like. It's it's not interesting anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like I like Eli Ross movies like Cabin in the Woods and um, or Cabin Fever. I mean, uh, Cabin in the Woods was Joss Whedon, which was a comedy horror. But yeah, like Cabin Fever and Hostel. But I'm like, I didn't need a Hostel too. Um, but yeah, it's still fun. I'm not a yeah. big 
I'm not a big torture porn fan. Like, and Eli oh, Roth. That's always good. He's Eli, all in the torture porn. <laughs> Eli Roth specifically, I'm not a huge fan of oh. personally. I don't. I, I understand the appeal, but like, it's not something that appeals to me necessarily in that regard. Like, for for me, a lot of a lot of his stuff is just gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous. It's like, ooh, aren't I shocking you? Mm, Tortureful. Like, it mm. would have been better if you told an engaging story about characters I can care about, as opposed to being like, ah, look at these dumb millennials. I made the Green Inferno. Aren't I great? It's a film reference. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Not not for me. Not for me. I'm good. Yeah, and there's a lot of movies that are more recent that I'm sort of in that vein of like, and like, I didn't really need that. I mean, I won't mention them, but um, certain franchises, I'm glad they're getting a little bit more story. Like, you know, Insidious and Annabelle, like some of these are actually good, and this has sort of had a resurgence, but yeah. Talking about, like, not all of them are winners, but talking about a, a series that kind of oddly took a turn to focus on an atypical protagonist Insidious, again, not all of the movies in that franchise are winners, but the hero of that series is Lin Shay. Yeah. Like, again, talking about, like, this little, like, we, we talked earlier about how it's not very typical for, the, uh, for the, the monster at the end of the movie to be this little old lady. And in, the, and in Insidious, it turns out she's the freaking hero. <laughs> Even after she dies, she's like, well, I'm still here to save the day. Well, Spoiler alert. <laughs> she's like, well, Patrick Wilson, you clearly can't take care of yourself, so I'm here to, uh, to fix everything for you. Hey, I'm going to go off and have ghost adventures now. Bye. Hey, Al, man, I'm here to watch you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, nerd reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have a watchman poster currently hiding a hole in the wall, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's something that I'm really kind of sad that the Insidious franchise didn't continue with because they they've continued to make her the focus in three and four, uh, which are more prequel stories. I was like, nah. I mean, just just lean into the fact that she's a ghost paranormal detective, like you left off with it too. Just run with that. That's amazing. Hopefully, that's the next installment. There. I, I mean, mean, David F. Sandberg is working on Shazam, and then James Wan is working on Aquaman. But maybe <laughs> they can like split up, but you know, and. <laughs> Go and make this movie. What do you think of like the conjuring? I mean, I didn't know we we're running short on time, yeah. but like, what do you think of like the conjuring movies? Uh, because the, we've got not only the nun coming out soon, but also the crooked man spinoff as well. Yeah, like I'm just I'm interested in these, and it was cool and all, but I'm just like okay, I'm not really sure about branching off of these characters because, like you say, there's better stories to tell there. I mean, I thought uh, you know, say what you. you the, the Warrens as people, that's a completely yeah. different discussion. But the Warrens as characters in the way that the, the Conjuring has portrayed them, they are very likable protagonists. And they were, again, kind of atypical protagonists as well. Um, and also making them like 70s period pieces was yeah. really cool. I think the first one's better than the second. Um, but... Uh, I mean, they're they're both very well executed. But yeah, I don't... as As much... As interesting as it is when, to see a lot of these spinoffs happening, I was like, no, part of the reason why The Conjuring was such a breath of fresh air was because it was something new. Yeah. And even though it was pretty conventional in terms of the types of scares, because, like, um, 
Insidious 2 came out like a couple months after The Conjuring and I, I noticed I was like James Wan is using a couple of the same oh, yeah. types of scares here but um, but they're still effective um, that's the thing is even though the original Conjuring is kind of conventional it's executed so well uh, and it's just a shame that we don't do more of that in terms of like hey let's tell a new story in a good way <laughs> It shouldn't seem very hard, but apparently it is. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's what you say. Is like these are, you know, sort of the new horror franchises, but much like the Jasons and the Freddies and the stuff before them, they kind of have gotten to uh, let's tell the same thing in a different way, like instead of like new. Yeah, yeah um, and I love, I love all those yeah. franchises. Those are great. But when you look at them as individual movies, it, you know, you start feeling a little bit of fatigue. I like to cherry pick from those franchises of like, I like this from this movie and I like this from this movie. And, and maybe if we, there was a movie that combined all those things, I like to cherry pick, you know, that would be the best Freddy movie or the best uh, Hellraiser movie or, or the best Michael movie. Yeah. Um, here's hoping that the, the next one, Jamie Lee Curtis oh, yeah. is good. Well, Danny here's- McBride is writing it. I, and I love Fingers Danny crossed. McBride. Like, and it's got Laurie Strode back and apparently it's just a continuation after two um which is what you know, h2o was yeah uh, I, like i said i, I liked h2o okay like for I, like eh. i liked h2o and it had a really good ending yeah um and it's just a shame that resurrection decided to take that ending and throw it out the window Did halloween resurrection really happened and i like you know debate that i mean you i feel like that is debatable yeah, it no. certainly feels like a fever dream when you watch it yeah, because I'm like, what? <laughs> that is that is a movie. Uh, I I say definitely don't watch sober. Definitely have yourself a glass of whiskey with that one because oh, yeah. it's it's pretty painful. Yeah, you know, I'm like, I thankfully only saw that once, and that was enough. <laughs> once is enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, with the franchises, you want eight is enough, but um, with the uh, resurrection, once is enough. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, I like to cherry pick. Um, One of my favorite movie moments in the Halloween franchise is in five randomly. It's not a good movie, but I was like, but I like that moment. Oh, yeah. What moment? Because I'm like, is that the Paul Rudd one or is he in six? Because I always mix up five and six. Okay. Because I'm like five and six kind of like run together because they have the same like, you know, character throughout like Jamie Um, played by Danielle Harris. Yeah. The five, the the moment is where where he unmasks himself. Oh, yeah. I, I know that that was... Definitely, like, overly advertised and overly hyped. But I watched it on TV. I I was not subject to any of that advertising. So, like, I just looked at it as a very fascinating moment. Um, Again, not a great movie, but I love that moment. And horror franchises are kind of, like, littered with little things like that. Yeah. And that's the thing is, like, even some, like... Friday the 13th Part 5 is also atrocious. I mean, Jason's not even in it. And they, like, pretty well set it up that Tommy might have been the killer in that one. But I'm glad that we don't even use that in continuity because it was really dumb. Yeah. Um, for, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, the, it wasn't even the fourth one. It was the, 
I think it was the fifth one. Yeah, I think it was the fifth one. Um, same thing. I don't no. necessarily like it as a movie as much, um, but there's a moment in it where like this kid uh, is a dream warrior for a mm-hmm. second without anybody having to like kind of coach him through. Yeah. It might have been four. Um, I think it was five. But without anybody having to mentor him or anything like that, he turns into a dream warrior just out of sheer will because of what mm-hmm. Freddy was taunting him. And it was it was like it's like yeah this this is a stupid movie but that was a cool moment yeah and that's the thing is these films are all just full of fun little moments it's not just a bunch of sick ass gore which yeah. which I like there's too, but. there's a bright side to even the worst of the the franchise entries dun, dun, dun. and I think that's where we have to end it I mean it came around to being. Brightside. Um, so, Megan, where can they keep up the conversation with you? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. All right. And um, since I'm Lucretia Lyon, guys, you can always find me at L A C R E T I A L Y O N anywhere on the internet since there is only one. See you next Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening to Mrs. Brightside. Be sure to subscribe to the channel so that you get new episodes every Tuesday. And also feel free to rate us five stars or four. I can take that too. It is good enough, as I would say. But yeah, I'll read your comments on the air as I did with Tanya last week. And again, thank you so much, Tanya, for nagging some of my AfterBuzz TV co-hosts, Frank and Lex, to do the podcast. And guys, it does work. So feel free to nag anyone you'd like to hear on the Mrs. Brightside podcast. And sure, you can always tweet me to let me know what you'd like to hear the bright side of or who possibly you'd like to hear on here. Thank you guys so much again for listening and see you next Tuesday.